Welcome to Insurance Tomorrow. This is the podcast all about the future technology and trends that could impact businesses and the insurance industry for years and possibly decades to come. It's brought to you by Allianz Insurance and I'm your host, Steph McGovern. Now, we've covered a wide range of topics in our last series from climate change to connected cities and even blockchain. In our latest run, we're tackling subjects as diverse as e-mobility, business resilience and under-insurance. So do please have a listen to those episodes. Today, we're going to talk about open finance. Now, I'm sure you'll all know that open banking has made it possible for authorised third parties to access the financial data of individuals and businesses, which then allows them to provide recommendations on products and services. The FCA is now looking at how this data sharing could help sell other financial products such as insurance. So this is known as open finance. But what impact could this have on the insurance industry? Well, to discuss this in more detail, I'm joined by a panel of industry experts. We've got Glenn Clark, Head of Transformational Propositions at Allianz UK, John Holsworth, UK Management Consulting Executive from KPMG, and Ben Howarth, Manager for Climate Change and Open Data Policy at the ABI. So, gentlemen, let me start by asking then what we mean by open finance. I gave a bit of a flavour of what it is, but Glenn, I'm sure you could give us some more detail on it. You gave a very succinct explanation at the beginning, but it's probably worth giving a bit more context. So open finance is the potential broadening of scope of the, what is, I guess, a relatively new phenomenon of open banking. So it's probably worth just reflecting back on what open banking is and how it came about before we explore open finance. And so, I think going back to August 2016, the Competition and Markets Authority issued a ruling that required the nine largest UK banks to allow their personal and business customers to give permission to third parties to access their data via secure APIs, the data in their current account, that is. And the ruling also required that the banks not only just make the data access available, but that those third parties uh, would also be able to instruct payments on the customer's behalf directly from their account. So this came into force in 2018 with the belief that this would benefit customers by allowing them to get control over their own data and to drive competition and innovation in the industry as well. And so I guess to date, you could say that it's been a success in that more than 3 million people and businesses in the UK are actively using open banking enabled apps and services. And the volumes of transactions recorded monthly are going exponential as well. And I think there's now more than 200 approved third-party providers that have received their approval to partake in what open banking can offer. And I guess one of the reasons for why this was brought about was to kind of overcome the inertia of people swapping from products that they've held from a long time with certain providers. And that certainly seems to be the case. And in a survey of SMEs, Pre-open banking, only 4% were changing their bank account in the previous 12 months. That's now up to 10% and 17% if you look at people who are active within open banking itself. There's definitely something that's growing and something that seems to be having an impact in the banking market. So off the back of this, the FCA is now consulting with parties across the full spectrum of financial services to see if the principles and scope of open banking should be expanded from current accounts, which is where it is now, but through to savings, loans, credit cards, mortgages, pensions, investments, and general insurance. And so I think it's that broadening of scope, which creates an interesting topic for us to discuss today. And Ben, why is it then it's been expanded? I mean, obviously, Glenn explained there about the success of of open banking. So is it simply that it's the fact that, oh, well, we've seen it work there, 
this could work across a number of products and services now? I think it's partly that. And I think Glenn was right to say that open banking is having some success. I think, actually, I'd probably look at it from the other direction, that some of the feedback from open banking is that open banking would have more impact if other parts of the financial services ecosystem were plugged into it as well. So at the ABI, we represent the general insurers like Allianz, but also a lot of the long-term savings, pensions, health insurers, etc. And I think particularly on our sort of long-term savings and pension side of our membership, there's a view that actually plugging in some of that information and some of the stuff that you might have about ISAs or savings accounts into the open banking system more effectively would have more impact and would drive more use cases. So I think it's partly actually trying to make the most of what we've already got with open banking by extending it out. I think there's also a view from the SCA that generally there's a direction of travel towards much more data being available across the whole of the business's ecosystem. And that essentially by requiring what they've already required for open banking for other bits of the financial services, they can potentially solve some of the problems that they're seeing in different markets. And perhaps one of the potential risks is that they oversee that and they're sort of imagining use cases that are maybe not fully realised. But I think there's a general view from the FCA that better access to data is in principle a good thing and that if it works for open banking, it should work for everyone else. Yeah. So, John, what stage are we at at the moment then with this? So from the regulator's perspective, they ran a call for input through last year and have had a lot of input around that, which they're considering now and they're working through what the next steps will be. I think it's worth thinking about this more broadly than the regulation, though, because if you think there's a whole behavioural change going on with the consumer and the consumer's expectations about what information they should be able to access. So if you think about the app-driven world we're in, anyway, consumers are expecting to be able to have much more access to data than they previously would have done. So there's a behavioural trend which says open finance, in fact, open everything is happening anyway. From the regulator's perspective, clearly, we're talking about people's finances here, right? So they, they want to keep those finances secure. And so it's important that they move at a pace that facilitates that to happen, but in a secure way. So the FCA are due to respond in the next small number of weeks, stroke months on how to move forward with this. So how would it work then, Ben, in terms of how businesses might use it? It's not fully realised. And I think there's lots of potential use cases and some things that are sort of already happening around trying to help people manage their products in a different way. So particularly in general insurance, I think there's a perception that it might speed up the process of buying insurance and make the decision making a bit more accurate. So currently as a consumer, you might want to renew your motor insurance, you go onto a price comparison website, you type in some details, you try and fish out details from your previous policy. I suppose the idea, and this links to, to what we've just been discussing about this being part of the wider smart data ecosystem is that you wouldn't need to put all that data in it would kind of already exist and you could give a company permission to use your data already and give you a much speedier service also far more granular and more detailed information on which they could base your quote so that's one potential use case there's sort of broader use cases i think where this would interact with other bits of smart data and open banking. So one of the options I think the SCA are quite keen on is that you could use it to measure your carbon footprint. So you could look at product details from across all the different things that you're buying and have a look at your carbon footprint and be recommended changes. So I think there's 
there's a sort of combination of really specific insurance ones, which might be helping you at the point where you buy the product or actually sort of data that would help you manage a claim more efficiently. So you could perhaps load in information on a smartphone app and have it sent directly to an insurer who could then in turn pass it on to that side. But I think there's also this wider data ecosystem where data from insurance would feed into other products. So the data that you get from insurer might only be a small part of the overall product. Because these data ecosystems are emerging, all businesses will have to kind of understand who are either providers or the beneficiaries of the system will have to understand where they want to sit within those systems. And so it's interesting that with banks having been kind of first to go effectively with the current accounts and the rise of things like digital banks like Monzo and Starling and so on and so forth, that you're already starting to see in that sector how it's starting to take shape and how these plethora of products and services can be realized from just the opening up of some data. And so to a certain extent, I think there's a number of use cases that are kind of understood in terms of businesses being able to understand their entire you know, insurance portfolio and being able to have you know, a digital broker or so on and so forth be able to operate on their behalf in terms of looking at whether they've got the best balance of risk transfer and risk management across their, their needs. But we'll also see how this could be led from other parts of the financial ecosystem. As Ben said, you know, it might be you can go onto Starling Banks as a business banking customer now and access insurance products via your business bank account there right now today, even though open finance has not extended to the world of insurance yet. And so I guess the way that the customer will become aware of the products and where they will interface it to, because the key thing about a lot of this is who's going to own the customer interface. So who is it that's going to have that first point of contact with the customer? And it might be that you have lots of people that you interface with, or it might be that you put your trust in any one or two organizations to help you manage your financial affairs. As more and more products get added into this world of smart data and open finance, then you'll get this kind of exponential increase in value, which I think Ben was talking about earlier in terms of making it clear to businesses and consumers what the benefits might be, because there's certainly some attractive potential outcomes, but obviously not without risk. But obviously, John, you're talking to businesses all the time. What are they saying to you in terms of the benefits they're hoping to get from this? The sort of jury's a little bit out on open banking so far, because whilst it's been proved technically, actually... And there are a lot of people using it. The use cases are quite narrow, so they're not transformational for the individual. Most people would believe that the more financial products you can include, the better and better, the more value can be added to the end consumer because you can all of a sudden really start to help them manage their financial position, right? So, you know, just because you can see their current account doesn't mean you understand what their mortgage position is or how much they're spending on or necessarily what they're insuring or how they're insuring it. But the more data you load up, of course, the more transformational you can see. And at that point, then the business case for innovative things happening becomes greater and greater. And therefore, you get this whole kind of virtuous circle whereby the end consumer benefits greatly because they're getting a lot more value out of the whole thing. You know, therefore, new businesses enter and they invest more and then traditional businesses transform more because they need to to keep pace with it. And so that's the way people are thinking about it. I think we're some way yet from a provider in open finance, we're some way before people start to make really, you know, very compelling businesses yet. But as the scope of this gets broader, the opportunity gets much bigger. And we've touched a little bit on the risks then. So just... Let's talk more about them now in terms of what the risks are from this. 
the reason that the FCA is looking into this is because they want to drive better customer outcomes. And I guess one of the subtleties that I think distinguishes insurance from a lot of the other financial services products that are under review in this regard is the nuances of what an insurance product is versus a purely financial product. So, you know, purely financial products tend to be a matter of numbers. You know, if I'm going to get a loan or I'm going to rebroke my mortgage or so on and so forth, then I'm often looking for what the best financial result for me is. It's quite a mathematical equation in terms of whether it be interest rates and so on and so forth. I guess where I see some risk from a general insurance perspective is that the nuance of understanding the customer's demands and needs and the nuances of the products that are offered by the market and what's covered and not covered mean and the services that are offered, you know, at claim stage and so on and so forth mean that there is probably a broader set of aspects to contemplate when thinking about changing your provider for insurance than merely trying to change your electricity supplier to who's ever got the best rate to changing my mortgage to whoever will give me the lowest interest rate to changing my credit card to who will ever give me the longest period of zero interest or so on and so forth. Those nuances are are something that we're going to have to understand in time about how the customer's interests can truly be protected and that we don't get into a situation where price becomes too big a determinant. And obviously, whilst insurance is quite different from other financial products in the banking sphere, lines of business within insurance are quite different from each other as well. And so the commoditization of something like car insurance at one end, you could see being quite attractive to the prospect of open finance because it's a pretty commoditized product. Whereas something about the nuances of the right blend of cover that a small business might require is something quite nuanced and where the advice of a broker can sometimes be extremely effective. And so how some of those aspects of a more complex insurance transaction can be considered in the context of how open banking works and open data and APIs and you know algorithmic processing and all of that kind of stuff that drives efficiency and speed and visibility and accessibility, I think it's just something we've got to understand as this plays out. Yeah, because I guess the danger is the nuances could lead to, for example, under insurance if you know, it hasn't been properly talked through with someone and it's more just the cheapest price being offered. I think it's interesting. Some of the stuff we've been discussing, open finance could potentially be the solution. So you mentioned, Steph, under insurance and there's clear use cases where you think actually open finance could sort of help you understand where you're underinsured and where you're not covered when you think you are and help you address that. Equally, there's a risk that the process becomes so data-driven and no humans ever touch it and it's all driven by AI that some of this stuff gets kind of baked in and we get some of the trends that Glenn talked about in terms of price comparison websites just get worse. We're an odd stage where it's both a massive opportunity and quite a big risk. I think also one of the things that the industry needs to really reflect on is that the sheer volume of data that will be available is going to go up and up and up. And one potential risk there is that you end up with a situation where the gap between a very risky customer and a not very risky customer keeps growing and growing to the point where maybe not to the point where insurers are completely, people are completely uninsurable and they're so expensive that they can't get affordable insurance, but where the gaps are quite big. And we start testing what consumers are willing to accept. And what we found in our research was that there's quite a big gap and quite a stark gap between what consumers think. There are many consumers, and I think the majority of consumers, who would say, I want to know my exact risk as detailed as possible and pay a fair price for me for the risk I present. 
I mean, our survey found that at about 60% of the public, but equally quite a stark divide to the other half of the public who think, no, I want to make sure that insurance is pooled as much as possible so that we all get a fair price. And those are quite hard things to bridge. And I think when we start looking at this sophistication of data, we just really need to understand where consumers are coming from and have a really sophisticated idea and possibly different options for different type of consumers to make sure that this is a fair option. It doesn't mean there aren't opportunities in open finance. It doesn't mean there aren't good things that could happen and improvements that are made. But I think we have to be realistic that some of the trends that are already there in the market could get exacerbated and get worse. And also that consumers don't really know what they're doing or don't know how to navigate the system. Stuff could happen. I mean, just to use a slightly silly example, I think growing reliance on AI to do pricing has massive advantages in the sense that it could allow you to be much more sophisticated much quicker. But I think if you think back to the sort of A-level stuff in the summer, you can see how it doesn't take much to go wrong with the data set. and You've got really skewed results. So I think the industry should probably look at that as an example and reflect on that's actually what can happen when AI isn't used as well as it could be. Yeah. And Ben, you briefly mentioned earlier about the ethics around this. So how can the insurance industry make sure that it remains ethical when it comes to open finance then when you're dealing with obviously the data risk? I think the main thing, and actually this is where open finance is potentially a big opportunity rather than a threat, is transparency is the key. I think if consumers know what data is held about them and are able to kind of watch the process of that data being used and see how those decisions are being made, then they've got an opportunity to act on that. So there will be, I think, differing levels of comfort from different consumers about how much of their personal data they're willing to share with people. So they need a degree of control in the process, but they also need to be able to see where that data is flowing through the system, I think. And open finance actually does offer you the opportunity to do that in a more transparent way, rather than data kind of flowing around behind the scenes because you ticked a box at some point. So actually, I think it's an opportunity to look at some of the ethical questions and help consumers through that process if it's done right, if open finance works well. So based on what we've been talking about, what do brokers need to know, Glenn? I think the interesting thing from a broker's perspective is that to a certain extent, the prospect of open finance almost superpowers broking to a certain extent because it's going to make it a lot easier for a customer to share their information about their product portfolio that they have, who they are currently working with, what covers they've got in place, and so on and so forth. And so for a digital broker to be able to take that information and to evaluate whether there's any improvements that could be made to the cover within a business's portfolio is something that you would imagine would be really enabled by this kind of access to data. But I think incumbent brokers that exist now really need to understand, well, where do I want to sit within all of this? Is this a game that I'm willing to play? Am I wanting to stay in the areas of the market where traditional channels of advice face-to-face or by voice with experts is where I want to be? Or do I want to also compete in this digital space where I'm going to have to encapsulate a lot of my skills and knowledge and experience into a kind of digital manifestation, I guess. So I think for brokers, we've got to think carefully about that. I think it's also about what is it, what data, if you had access to it as a broker, could you get from your client that would enable you to build a better and more informed picture of your client's needs that would allow you to deliver a better customer outcome for them? So in conclusion then, Can you each tell me what you think then people listening need to think about when it comes to open finance? What are the key things going forward, Ben? Two from me, I think. One is the quality of the data sets they already hold. If you're going to be mandated to allow other people access to these, they need to be in a good condition. You need to be ready for that. Otherwise, it could potentially cost you a lot of money if you're a provider. And the second is 
I think people really need to think and get engaged in the ethical side of how consumer data transfers around the economy and be prepared and make sure that you have an understanding of how you're using data already, but how you think it might be used in the future, because that's a significant challenge to the whole market, but to individual firms as well. And that would be the one I'd say to those two things. So think about the quality and consistency of your data from a practical point of view, but also you know, make sure you really thought through what you're comfortable with and what you think your customers will be comfortable with in terms of how you're going to use that data. So I think what we've learned from open banking is this is all about the end customer. It's all about them. So they're going to change anyway. And it'll either be you or someone else who supports that change. And so my advice to everyone here will be think about where the value is for that end consumer first and then think about what you're going to do to meet that value. That'll govern how and where the innovation happens. Absolutely. I think the focus on the end customer is paramount here. And I think this is a fairly nascent area. You know, everyone's still getting familiar with this. There is a lot of people out there that well, they may even not even realize it. They haven't engaged in open banking or other associated topics. And so I think people who are wanting to contemplate this issue should start to get involved themselves as consumers and talking to their friends and see what changes it makes to your own mindset. What did you go through? How did you choose who you were going to select? What type of problems did you seek a solution for in that you found worked well? My thoughts on this topic has developed by my own experiences with it. And I think that's something that can be very informative. And so opening a dialogue about this and understanding how the end customer is going to be feeling about this and there's the full spectrum of different opinions that they may have and then understand what these pathways might look like and where you want to sit within these developments and what role you and your business might want to play are open, healthy conversations to have right now and to build upon as we move forward. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Lovely to chat to you on that. And I know I've learned an awful lot from it. I hope everyone listening has as well. So thank you very much to our guests, Glenn Clark, Alliance UK, John Holsworth from KPMG and Ben Howarth from the ABI. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to the others on your usual podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. And we would love to hear what you think of them. So please do leave a review and don't forget to share the episode with anyone who you think might be interested. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Steph McGovern.